This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. The enormous changes such as social distancing measures and isolation that have been brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic means that a focus on mental health is critical for the house building industry now more than ever. In this episode, Human Capital Group's Managing Director, Gerard Ball, speaks to mental health campaigner and business transformation consultant, Jeff McDonald. Jeff left his role as Unilever's Global VP of HR over a decade ago to begin a very personally fueled journey to end the stigma of depression and anxiety in the workplace. Here, he offers advice on creating cultural change that normalises mental health and mental ill health and how businesses must make them a strategic priority. He talks about the need to open up the conversation around anxiety and depression, particularly in male-dominated industries such as construction and house building. And crucially, he gives real practical advice and techniques to both leaders and employees in the industry and how to maintain good emotional health and, importantly, how to support each other. Welcome, listeners, to our latest episode of the UK House Builder Good to Great series. This episode is very much in response to the coronavirus outbreak and feedback which we've received from our clients regards one of the key issues that really affect all of us, which is our mental health. And to talk to me and to give me some insight into what we can do, I'm here with Jeff McDonald, ex-global HR director of Unilever and founder of Minds at Work, which is an organization which works with global leads to improve the health and mental health of its employees. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Gerard, and uh, wonderful that you are leading on this initiative during these very unprecedented and I think difficult and anxious times for people. So, Jeff, before we go into the kind of a main body of the topic, I'd, I'd just like to understand a little bit about your backstory and you know how you went from Global HR Director of Unilever to becoming you know quite a renowned expert in the field of mental health. Oh, well, thank you for that, Gerard. And you know, maybe maybe to start and saying, I, I don't really view myself as an expert, but I view myself as somebody who's had lived experience of mental ill health. Mm. And so that actually gives me some credibility to talk as as somebody who's who's suffered greatly from poor mental health. But yeah, you know, I mean, a bit of my backstory is, you know, I spent, uh, as you say, I, you know, I had a 25-year career with Unilever working all over the world, culminating in the global head, as the global head of HR for all of our marketing, communications, and, and sustainability efforts. And then in 2008, you know, one evening, midnight, I'll never forget the date, 25th of Jan, 2008, the night before my daughter's 13th birthday, I get woken up with a massive, massive panic attack. And I mean, I'd never experienced a panic attack in all my life. And so... My fingers are tingling, the ends of my toes are tingling, my heart's beating, I've got these palpitations, I'm sweating profusely, struggling with my breathing. And because I've never experienced this in my life before, I I think I'm about to have a heart attack. And uh, I bumped my wife and 
explain to her that I think I'm about to have a heart attack. And she says, why? And um, I, I tell her what's going on. And she says, well, why don't you get up, walk around the room, take some deep breaths. And so I get up, I walk around the room, I take some deep breaths. Mm. Slowly, slowly, the, these levels of anxiety begin to subside, that I can't go back to sleep because I'm petrified that I'll have another panic attack or my adrenaline is pumping. I start catastrophizing over the most insignificant issues in my life. Anyway, cut a long story short, the next day I'm in a doctor's room at about midday and I get diagnosed with anxiety-fueled depression. I had never, I mean, me getting depression, I mean, that was like the furthest I could think of an illness that I would one day suffer from. And my understanding of the word depression up until that point was, you know, I'm a bit of an Arsenal supporter. And if you support Arsenal, you can kind of get two-thirds into the season and think you're going to win everything. And then the last third of the season, everything falls off. And I would say I'm so depressed about this Arsenal football team. You know, that was my understanding of the word uh, depression. Uh, I'd wake up on a Saturday morning and want to go for a bike ride and it's pouring with rain. And I'd say, oh, I'm depressed because it's raining. Mm. And here I am now diagnosed with anxiety-fueled depression. But, you know, Gerard, there was one thing that saved my life, I think, during my recovery. And it was as I walked out that doctor's rooms, I made a decision. And in some ways, I was liberated by the doctor because he gave me a diagnosis. He said, Jeff, you are suffering from anxiety-fueled depression. And that diagnosis liberated me to be able to talk about my illness and not hide it. And so I was determined not to be burdened by the stigma and instead I told, my, I told my family what was wrong with me. I told my employer. I told my friends mm. that I was suffering from anxiety-fueled depression. And what I got in response to telling people was the most unbelievable outpouring of love. And you know, mm. in my darkest moments, that was the only thing that kept me going, was knowing that I was loved. So mm. Talk about the power of love as an emotion. Well, for me, it was what kept me going during my darkest, darkest moments. You know, knowing that I had two daughters who really loved me, knowing I had a wife who loved me, knowing I had friends who loved me. I had a, an, I had a boss who, who was supporting me and loving me through this time. And so right. over a period of three months, I get myself better. I reintegrate myself back into Unilever in 2008. 2010, I have a relapse. And then in October of 2012, I'm walking home one evening my wife calls me. She says, Jeff, I've got terrible news. I say, what is it? She says, one of your best friends is dead. I said, what? I mean, we were with him a couple of weeks ago. What do you mean he's dead? That afternoon, he died by suicide. And, you know, here was a guy, alpha male, macho, Africana, South African. I mean, there were right. no ways he could talk about how he was feeling. And um, I lay in bed that night and I came to a very simple conclusion, Gerard. And the conclusion I came right. to was that stigma had just killed my friend because I knew that had he been suffering from a physical illness, he would have asked for some help. He was suffering from a, a common form of mental ill health, and he, he was this kind of alpha male, macho, the light and soul of a party. There's a saying, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. He couldn't talk about this stuff, and I lay there and I just thought, that's not fair. The only difference between him and I was that one conversation that I was able to have and he wasn't able to have that conversation. And it was that that became the catalyst. That night I wrote to Alistair Campbell. I asked right. him if he would meet with me because he was starting to campaign and advocate in this space. Mm. And within 10, within 10 minutes, he responded to my email. A week later, we met up in Belsize Park right. and began to lead a piece of work in Unilever, co-led a piece of work with a guy called Tim Munden around right. stigma. And at the end of 2014, I decided to leave to go and help workplaces create environments where people could just have one conversation. And, you know, 
I'm not saying that if, if my friend had been able to have the conversation, he'd definitely be alive today, but there's mm. a tiny, tiny chance that he would. And that's worth fighting for every single day that people can just feel that they can have one conversation, which might save a life. So that's kind of how I've got into, you know, into this whole area of, of helping organizations and workplaces create places where people can just put their hand up and ask for some help if they need it. The coronavirus, et cetera, is, yeah. you know, very much seen as a, a, a physical healthcare issue, particularly with, within my industry. And, you know, I, I talk to house building directors, CEOs, owners of the businesses and, and the discipline directors all along. And a lot of the time their they're worry now is about lost working days through the physical ill health of people. And also, you know, talking to the people in my marketplace, you know, they're, they're in real survival mode at the moment. It really appears that with some that their own mental health and maybe even their team's mental health are fairly, fairly low down on the list of priorities at the moment. And I appreciate that will change over the coming weeks and coming months. But why should mental health be a higher more important issue at the moment? I think it's all about how we see mental health and how we see health in a more holistic way. So I think as human beings, we have health at sort of four levels. I mean, yes, of course, there is our physical health, but then there is also our emotional health. Then there is our mental health. And then there's also what the scientists call spiritual health. Now, I prefer to, I use the word purpose and meaning and whether we have a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. Right, okay. And if you are not physically healthy, that can have a huge impact on how you are feeling from an emotional point of view. You could wake up on a Monday morning full of the flu and start mm. being quite sad for yourself. It's kind of your, your emotional health which in many ways also impacts your mental health. And what do I mean by mental health? What I mean by your mental health is your cognitive ability. So your ability to concentrate, your ability to make the right decision, your ability to be cool and collected under pressure, your ability to concentrate on things or to remember stuff. And you know, when we are emotionally unwell, if we're very, very anxious, that can impact our decision-making, the clarity of thought, judgment, et cetera, et cetera. And mm. so I think today we've got, to see, we've got to see all of those elements mm. contributing to the overall health and therefore the productivity of people. And so even although the coronavirus is impacting us with kind of what we see as physical symptoms, it is having a huge impact on how we are now feeling about ourselves, feeling about society. And therefore, that's having a huge impact on how people are thinking, what they're saying, the decisions that they are making. And, you know, more and more, I think that we are working in a knowledge economy. Yes, I know in construction that there's a lot of physical work that has been done, but mm. there's also a lot of thinking and decision-making that has to happen. And I think we should be making sure that our people have got good mental health so that they can make good decisions, that they can make good judgments, that they can remember things. 
And we get good mental health by being physically well and being emotionally well. They're not separated from one another. And so I think in a very, in a very knowledge economy now where we are dependent on, upon people's intellectual prowess and their knowledge and their decision-making, their ability to build relationships with people, emotional mm. and mental health is becoming even more important. I guess, you know, more so in a, in a business like construction or house building, which you've touched on a number of times, is the stigma attached to it within the market because it's so male-dominated in, <laughs> in many aspects. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of, I mean, it's so much easier to talk about physical health. But, you know, as I said, if you're not physically healthy, that's going to impact you emotionally and it's going to impact you mentally. And, um, and yes, you know, construction is a very alpha male, macho environment. But, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just normalize mental ill health and mental health. So mental health is actually quite a good thing to be mentally healthy. Yeah. In many ways, the words mental health, that brand mental health is such a damaged brand because whenever I use the word, people immediately go to illness and they go to sickness around depression and anxiety and schizophrenia. But when I use the word physical health, people don't immediately go to glandular fever and diabetes. If I walk into a Nike store, I see chiseled whippets all over the walls, these beautiful images of people, and I feel inspired to go and buy a pair of running shoes. Mm. When it comes to mental health, I see images of people with their hands in their head, with a white coat on in a mental asylum. I mean, there's nothing inspirational and aspirational to maintain good mental health. But we all have it. We all have mental health. And sometimes, you know, we get ill in inverted commas. For me, that's kind of, it's just part of who we are. You know, people often say to me, what was wrong with you when you were when you were depressed? And I said, there was nothing wrong with me. Something just happened to me at a time. And by the way, we're all mental and we're all physical and we all live on a continuum. And so how do we actually start making, even start making heroes out of people who might have suffered from a mental ill health condition? You know, Winston Churchill was a depressive. Abraham Lincoln was a depressive some of the people who bring so much comedy and fun to the world, like Stephen Fry, struggle with mental ill health. But they are not weak and they're not strong. They're just human beings and it's just part of who they are. The more people can tell their stories and share their stories of some of their struggles, the more we kind of normalize this and realize, I don't really like the statistic of one in four and one in six. You know, right. I much prefer one in one. You know, we all have mental health and some mm. days... We all have mental ill health. We might wake up just not thinking very clearly because we're feeling very anxious about something. And then the ne next day we're okay. And for other mm -hmm. of us, we actually have that for a little bit longer than normal, just like we have a very bad bout of the flu rather than a one-day bit of the flu. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, in many ways, Gerald, it's just about being human. It's about being human. It's about, you know, these things impact all of us. And I hate these terms that, you know, we are strong and we weak and we're just being human. And sometimes things happen to us. And if we mm. give people the love and the support, they can come through this. And, you know, I often say, somebody said to me the other day, why would you ever recruit somebody who'd suffered from a mental ill health condition like depression or anxiety versus somebody who never has? And you know why I would? They're probably mm. better listeners. They're probably more compassionate. They're probably more in touch with some of these issues they've overcome a significant challenge in their life and they've come through it, you know, they're probably a wonderful human being. And sometimes 
I would like us to just have wonderful human beings leading projects on sites and building houses versus some of the narcissistic bullies you see in workplaces today. That would be amazing. You know, the industry is evolving as well. Certainly when I came into the industry, even five years ago, the approach from companies was, was very different to what it is now. And mental health is being taken on board. How it needs to go a step further, in my opinion, and talking to candidates who have been on the receiving end of it. But it is, it is progressing in the right direction. I think we can learn so much from your industry. And let me tell you what I, why I think we can learn so much from your industry. Because your industry, you know what they have really committed to? Is anybody who works on a site, you have committed 100% to keep that person physically safe. Your industry has done amazing work in reducing lost time accidents, fatality on sites, through stringent leadership, advocacy, engagement, investment in resources to keep people physically safe. Why would you not also want to keep people emotionally and mentally safe on the site? It's not as if when I move onto the site, I leave my emotions and my cognitive ability at the gate. Why are you only intent on keeping me physically safe? Why wouldn't you want to also keep me emotionally and mentally safe while I'm on the site? And you've done it for physical safety. So why can't we do the same for emotional and mental safety? I know some companies have got policies in place and they've got breakout areas, et cetera, but it still comes back to the stigma being attached of going into that area. And then your boss looking at you thinking, Oh, you know, what's wrong with him? He's got anxiety. You know, who do I act from the team? And, and it's that stigma attached with it. it. It's so, so heavy. And that's why I think, you know, just like we've done with safety, we've trained everybody about safety and how to say, stay safe on site. I mean, part of the reason why we've got stigma is because we've just been so uneducated in this whole area of mental and emotional health. You know, people don't really know what depression is. People don't really know what stress is. People don't really know what anxiety is. And so why can't we start investing and just training everybody in in having a better understanding around what is depression, what is anxiety, what is stress? Because I think the more we educate people, the more we create a, what I would call a more compassionate, a more empathetic and a more understanding relationship to mental ill health. So why can't we run some campaigns? Why can't we begin to make heroes out of people who've struggled and have come back and made a, and have flourished even more and made an even bigger contribution? So I think there's something about, yes, there is the stigma. How can we get more and more people to tell their stories and to share some of their own struggles now that they either are recovering or coming through? And as we do more of those things, then we begin to normalize this and people begin to say, okay, so, all right, you're just going through a bit of a bad time right now and we're here to help you and support you. And when you're better, I'm sure you're going to come back and you're going to flourish. But without the training and the education and the storytelling, there is going to still be an element of stigma. You've begun answering some of this question, and I appreciate this is a a podcast episode, so we can't go into the level of detail that some people might might want to just at this stage. But for a company that has no strategy in place, how would they go about implementing a strategy? You know, where, where do they start? I think probably the starting point with all of this is with the executive team of that company, the top 
five or six leaders who are all advocating and supporting the notion that the health of our people is a strategic priority. I think we've got to elevate health, which includes mental health, but just employee health. I think we've got to elevate that to it being a strategic priority. And you know, this COVID-19 is clear evidence of that. When people are not healthy, economies grind to a halt. The world has ground to a halt because people are unwell. And so if you think about elevating this concept of health to becoming a strategic priority, I think the next step then is to say, okay, so what would that look like? What would we as a leadership team have to invest in if Mm. we wanted to enhance and encourage the health of our people? Now, we've probably done it around the physical aspects, but what could we be doing around the emotional and mental aspects? And that might start with just some really simple stuff around just doing some training, but not just training a few mental health first aiders, but training everybody in the organization around mental and emotional health and how to maintain good mental health, how to maintain good emotional health, but just to start with some simple basic training for everybody so that you begin to raise the levels of awareness and understanding and bring everybody onto the same, onto the same platform. You know, I think some of the other stuff that one can start doing is just running some campaigns internally to help normalize and get these conversations going within the organization. And then it's about thinking, okay, so what resources could we start investing in and encouraging our people to use those resources to maintain good mental health? And so do we start teaching practices like meditation and mindfulness and yoga and we build it into some of our skill development programs that we have in the organization? I'm sure everybody on site gets taught certain, you know, certain skills. Why can't you build in uh, skills around how to keep yourself emotionally and mentally safe? And then I think there's also an element of, of holding individuals more accountable to be looking after their mental health and having conversations with them about where they're at and how they're doing in terms of their overall health within the business. But I think to just be really practical and simple, you know, the, the, the starting point for me is about beginning to see this as a strategic priority, which means you'll invest a bit of money behind it. And then maybe you just start with some basic training, some storytelling, and some campaigning to at least begin to address the stigma of mental ill health in that workplace. And then maybe take it to another level as to how you encourage people to to maintain their health so that they perform at their best. Some fairly straightforward, simple steps. steps And I bet you, Gerald, you know it better than me. I bet you've done that for safety. Well, certainly all of, it, all of our clients have. Yeah, yeah, like the clients in terms of health and safety, right. it's ridiculous. From even where it was when I came into the industry to where it is, is now, it's, and it's improving. If you said, okay, let's look and see how we have improved safety. You know, what have been some of the interventions that we've brought to improving safety? And I bet you they're things like it's a strategic priority, Leadership leaders are engaged. We've put money aside to invest in it. We've done training. We've made resources available to people to keep themselves safe. I mean, I was in a manufacturing sector all my life. I couldn't go into a factory without putting earbuds in my ears. They were there. They were made available to keep myself physically safe. Well, let's start using some of those basic principles in the area of emotional and mental health. 
Are there any um, are there any readily available tools or resources available to you know HR directors or chief execs to to help them build a strategy? For me, yes, there are consulting the people out there that are consulting in this space. But for me, it's about it's. A, I think that this should be this should be a very inclusive process, and it should be done sort of almost within the organisation. Where you get you get you you put together a bit of a well-being group from across the functions, you know, people of different levels of seniority, uh, different functions, bring them together in a room and kind of talk a little bit about kind of saying, look, let's look at what we are doing to keep people physically healthy in this business. What does best practice look like? What are we doing? What are we doing to keep people emotionally healthy, mentally healthy? Have we got a sense of purpose and meaning at work? And it's a question of, I think, just looking at where we currently are and then kind of saying, you know, what could the future look like and what does best practice look like? And there, you know, you can draw on people like business in the community, mind, you know, some of these charities that are offering examples of what good practice looks like and compare where you're at, look at that good practice and then begin to close the gap between where you currently are and what good practice looks like. You know, there are lots of seminars that HR directors could be going to around well-being and enhancing the well-being of people. I mean, this really is beginning to become a very, a very hot issue in, in some boardrooms today. The coronavirus in many industries, as, as well as house building and construction, has, has really created a, a very difficult, complex situation that will affect jobs from the bottom to the top in many different ways. You know, within your experience, maybe for other businesses you've consulted with who are having to make redundancies or or at least kind of calm the pressure on their on their employees you know what can leadership do to approach this and and, and limit the stress panic and worry of their employees or, or what do you feel best practice would be well this is unprecedented times that we are living in and i don't profess to have any of the solutions I think the the most important thing that leaders in workplaces can do today is to just acknowledge the psychological effects that the coronavirus is having on people today. So I think it is about being overt and acknowledging that with your employees to say, we accept and we realize that you are going to be feeling anxious now you're going to be feeling far more stressed than you usually do, are probably going to be experiencing greater degrees of absenteeism because your immune system is is dropping off. Mm. People's sleep is going to be drastically disturbed right now. There are going to be increased feelings of desperation and sadness. And I think it's so, so important that leaders are overt with their teams and kind of just recognizing that those are some of the psychological effects. And guess what? That is normal in a time of acute anxiety, uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that would be my first thing, is to just recognize what the, the psychological effects of this virus are. I think the second thing is that leaders should be very overt about explaining and showing a degree of empathy and understanding to the factors that are contributing to those psychological effects. 
So all the uncertainty that the coronavirus is bringing is impacting people's levels of stress and anxiety. The disruption to social connections. You know, I went for a walk in a park today or uh, Polesden Lacey, close to where I live. There was nobody else around. I mean, the disruption, and it felt eerie, and it felt isolated, and it felt lonely. You know, so fewer social connections are going to impact the psychological effects. People having to work from home is going to have an impact on people's psychological health. Having to learn to operate from a different schedule is going to have an impact. Financial anxiety is going to have an impact. Changes in the family system and your role in the family and having kids at home now when they normally at school. I think what's so important for leaders right now is one, is to recognize the psychological effects and to also recognize what are the factors that are contributing to those effects. And then I think what leaders have got to do is they have got to get far more in tune with some of the symptoms around anxiety and depression. You know, we're all in tune around the symptoms of flu, Mm. coronavirus. We all know what the symptoms are, but I think we've got to get in touch with the symptoms around anxiety and depression so that Mm. we can be more thoughtful, we can be more alert to people who might be struggling. And then I think, and so that's what I think leaders could be doing, Gerard. So being cognizant of the psychological effects, know what factors are contributing to those psychological effects and get in touch with the signs and the symptoms of people feeling depressed and anxious. Mm. I then also think individuals have got to try and do something to mitigate and to minimize some of these psychological effects. And just some very simple things that I think people can think about doing is try and avoid speculation and only use reputable sources to understand this outbreak. So just be so careful about where you get your information from, the speculation that is out there, and rather use reputable sources, you know, like Public Health England if you live in the UK or Wales or Scotland or official government websites. So one, avoid speculation. The second thing is try and stay connected. Keep in touch with friends. Keep in touch with family. Try and set up some private, you know, chat groups where you can just stay in touch with one another. Try and manage how you follow the outbreak in the media. So just be careful of how much you follow this on the media. And if it's having an impact on you, then stop reading or looking at it and maybe say, look, once a day, I'm just going to give myself an update because I do think it's important that people stay up to date. But just be careful about how much media and stuff that you read about all of this stuff. Try and anticipate some of the distress. So kind of acknowledge how you're feeling. Talk to somebody if you're feeling very stressful or you're feeling anxious or you're beginning to feel depressed. Go and have that conversation and get the support and the help that you need. And try and stick to a daily routine. You know, stay active, have a balanced diet, have a bit of a to-do list, take a lunch break, have a regular start and the end to your working day. You know, maybe learn to do a bit of meditation or practice some mindfulness or do some breathing exercises. And if you're in self-isolation, you know, just acknowledge that it's a different rhythm of life and try and keep in touch with other people. 
Try and learn something new and be gentle on yourself and just take some time out to rest. Maybe journal some of your fears. Start a gratitude diary. Uh, focus on the things that you can control. So, so those are just, just a couple of thoughts and some ideas on what individuals can try and build into their daily practice or their, or their daily routine. So there's a role for leaders to recognize this, to be empathetic, to be understanding, to know the things that are causing the distress that people are feeling, and then to advise and give some guidance on some of those very practical things that I've just mentioned on how you can look after and maintain an element of good emotional and mental health during this very, very stressful time. Jeff, on that note, thank you very much for your time. If companies want to get in contact with you directly, where would they best be pointed to? And maybe I can just give you my email address, which is Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, McDonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, 9-0 at gmail.com. And I've also got a website, which is jeffmcdonald.co.uk. And if you, you can look on my website or you can just drop me an email, I am doing a few webinars right now where I'm just helping leaders and employees and sharing some of these practical, simple things that can be done during this very, very stressful period to, to help people look after their mental and emotional health. Thank you very much, Jeff, for your time. That was excellent. Oh, thank you, Gerald. Discover how to build your UK house builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms, automation, and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.